really is true that sometimes not knowing, having a little bit of naivete and just the hustle is the best gift for starting a business. Because once you know so much, you can get into analysis paralysis and never do anything. Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. I want to welcome this week's guest, Natasha Case, to our show today. Natasha is the co-founder and CEO of Cool House, a woman-founded and led ice cream brand serving premium cookie sandwiches, pints, and bars. After earning her master's degree in architecture from UCLA and landing her dream job at Walt Disney Imagineering, she decided to leave her corporate job and risk everything she had on an old postal van that she purchased on Craigslist. At that time, her partner and co-founder Freya decided to take this barely drivable van to Coachella to see if their passion for making the first architecturally inspired ice cream sandwiches would be a viable business for them to pursue. Coachella was a big hit, and since 2008, Cool House has become a multi-million dollar business, growing two to three times per year due to popular demand. Natasha has been named 30 Under 30 by Forbes and Zagat, and has helped expand their business to over 7,500 grocery stores nationwide, from Safeway to Whole Foods. Well, I'm genuinely excited that Natasha's with us today. I'm a big fan of their brand and love their ice cream sandwiches, specifically their cookies and cream. It's so good. <laughs> but also her story, she really has combined two passions of hers, which is architecture and food, and genuinely created a dream business of hers that is doing incredibly well. So I'm looking forward to diving even deeper into her story today. Welcome to the show, Natasha. Thanks so much for having me. We're excited and I want to thank you for taking time. I know you're on maternity leave right now with your six-week-old daughter. So thank you for being with us and congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. Very happy she's here. Well, I'm also excited a bit later in our interview to talk more about your two adorable children and your wife, Freya, who's also your co-founder. But I'd love to start with your upbringing. You know, you grew up in L.A. in the Valley, which I'm also from. Nice. Yes. And, you know, both your parents were very artistic and creative and quite influential in your life. Can you share more about what your life was like growing up? Yeah, so yeah, I'm from Sherman Oaks. My middle name is Jenny, so a lot of people are, uh, you know, say, suggest that's an '80s Valley kind of name. It's actually my great grandmother's name, but you know, I like to it. It it, it can suit both purposes. Um, it does. <laughs> yeah, I I love being from here. It's I I love um now kind of you know planting our roots in the city that I'm from, uh because you know you have such a, a support network um and and. Like I, the LA that I knew and grew up with has evolved so much. I think as kids, um, especially being in Sherman Oaks, it it felt a little bit more like the city was sort of in a bit more disconnected, more like, uh, you know, you, that you might stay kind of in one area, not venture out as much. Um, Sherman Oaks certainly felt like slightly suburban, but, um, whereas now I feel like there's cool bars and restaurants there and a lot of young people moving there. And so it's cool to see how it's, how it's changed and evolved, but, I honestly, I, I loved growing up here and, and I'm grateful to be in a city that, you know, is so multicultural and um, just has so much to offer. Um, and then now, yeah, to have the support network of, especially with having my six week old and my three year old son, 
you know, having so much family here, both my uh, Freya, the co-founder of Cool House and my wife is also from here. So we have both you know, sets of grandparents and uh, brothers and sisters-in-law and, and beyond. So um, I, I'm, I just love it. And I'm so proud of how much LA has just blossomed since then. It really has changed quite a bit, but it's great to hear both you and your wife have the support system of your family around, which I'm sure is incredibly invaluable now that you have two little ones. So I know both your parents are quite creative, and I believe your dad was an architect. Did that really motivate you to go down that path? Because in your early 20s, you ended up going to UCLA for their architecture program. Can you share more about that? You know, I think my parents, I, I don't feel that there was ever necessarily strong push. I feel like they're kind of just like led by example. You know, my dad being an architect, my mom being an animator at Disney, I just saw really good examples in my household of being creative and, and turning it into a career and turning it into a fulfilling career. My dad designed our house that um, my parents still live in that we grew up in. I mean, what's more you know, fulfilling than that to spend every day in the space you envisioned for you and your family? It's, it's pretty profound. And my mom working on so many different cartoons growing up that many of which my friends were big fans of and just thought it was so cool that she worked on these. And um, so I just always was very proud of their careers and um, just had a natural creative inclination. I think certainly my parents fostered the creativity um, by sending me to drawing classes and different art classes and, and coming in and doing projects um, at my um, elementary school. I went to Carpenter Avenue and my mom came in and taught art classes there. And my dad came in and showed us how to do like blueprints of when we were studying Native Americans of different styles of housing, uh, you know, regional housing that they, the Native Americans created around the country. And so, yeah, I think it was just, you know, a great way to see what could be possible. And um, it's funny because my first job at Disney Imagineering, um, I had originally thought my parents have such cool creative careers, but I want to do something different. And working at Imagineering, being an architect at Disney could not have been more of a mashup of them. So I, I failed at doing something totally out of the box from them. <laughs> yeah, but I will say you did give your own mix to it. You created or you had a newfound passion of yours, which you called architecture, which is a mix of food and architecture. I would love to learn more about that because that eventually was the foundation for Cool House today. Yeah, you know, um, with with uh, basically, I had always been entertaining this idea of how can I bring my two biggest passions together. One of them being being food, and and I think not just the product of food itself, but the experience of of eating and um, the the um, all the memories it creates and everything that it does about bringing us together and the visual and the ritual and all those things. And then design, which I had been passionate about you know, um, uh, drawing and, and visual arts for really my whole life. And, um, so I, I, I kind of kept it as a passionate hobby all through school. I went to undergrad at Berkeley and then graduate school at UCLA. So that brought me back to LA and I would do projects around it, but I, I didn't, I, I thought it was too good to be true, to be a career path, to be honest. And then I was working at Disney as my, that first job after, you know, getting my, my graduate degree and um, one version of, of this food meets design concept by then I was calling for architecture, as you said, which was basically the, you know, um, the, the concept umbrella um, was making the ice cream sandwiches from scratch, naming them after architects and giving them out to folks at Disney when the recession started to set in. 
So it's interesting, like sometimes I think an idea can brew for a really long time and, and I and had many different manifestations, but the ice cream sandwiches ended up being that, you know, um, that iteration of it that just had so really like the legs to be so much more and also to be really viable as a business. So you were creating these ice cream sandwiches for your teammates at Disney at the time. And you've always been fascinated with the intersection of food and architecture, like you mentioned, even when you were still in school. What was it about the ice cream sandwiches specifically that you thought could be a viable business? Because for the longest time, you were always doing these types of projects just as a hobby. I think part of it was meeting Freya for sure. So I had been doing the ice cream sandwiches for two weeks when I met her and she really saw the business potential and I think had the wherewithal to understand how to set up a basic business model. I think for me, I was more coming at it from definitely the creativity, but more just like the big vision kind of the concept behind it, uh, the artistry. I definitely always, I feel like have understood sales and PR just naturally, like how to tell your story and get your story out there. And, and, and especially these days, how meaningful stories are for brands. But she really knew kind of the finance and ops sides of things. So she inspired me and us to take it in that direction. So it definitely wouldn't be here today without her. Um, and I think it just was one of those like products that was like, okay, um, there's, there's a white space here in the ice cream category. There's an opportunity to actually elevate and reinvent and make something that's true to us as women, as gay women, um, as millennials, um, that just wasn't out there. So it was a mixture of the right moment and the right partnership. Yeah, that's so important to talk about. I think just timing and the right partnership can really make or break her company. You know, I was actually just chatting with a friend who she is, she's created just such amazing food products. The branding's been on point, the food, the ingredients are amazing, but her expertise isn't really marketing and creating that awareness and buzz around it. And it's not what she necessarily enjoys. So I think the the main thing is really making sure you partner with someone or hire a teammate or a contractor that can really balance your skill sets because like you said you know every aspect is important from the finance and ops side of things to the marketing and the PR so it definitely seems like you know both you and Freya were the perfect team so i'd love to hear more about your quote unquote official launch at Coachella i know there are so many amazing stories that happened there that really helped cool Haas become a legitimate business. Can you share more about your experience there? Yeah. Oh, there's many stories within there. <laughs> um, some not appropriate for retelling probably, but um, <laughs> the, uh, you know, for Coachella, so we had the ice cream sandwiches. We knew there was a big opportunity to, 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 re, to reinvent, as I said. And then we, we kind of then thought about, well, how do we get this concept to market? And we knew that even though grocery clearly needed, could do better, it it, just, it was too much to take on to kind of start out. And then being that the recession had just set in, wasn't going to have, brick and mortar wasn't going to be possible. Um, We couldn't go and get a, you know, um, a loan from the bank, which by the way, lucky that we couldn't, because if we had started the idea six months earlier, we could get a big loan and had a lease and we're opening this ice cream shop, who knows if it would have survived all that. So it was great that we were forced to be scrappy. And what we, what we, the, our idea was, is the best way to get this product out there with the lowest barrier to entry and in the quickest time frame would be reinvent the ice cream truck for our generation. And we looked around and we saw no one had really done this and we couldn't believe it. We're like, 
this, we have to do this. Like this is going to be done. It's not by us. Um, yeah, didn't and, you Google like hipster ice cream truck yeah. and nothing came <laughs> up? Yes. And yeah, it was like a, a truck that sold vinyl records. I mean, we were like, truly how, how often even now just do you Google anything and there's few results? Like maybe that was because it was exactly Google was like, you know, but still building their inventory for search results. But yeah, we're like, this is, it just, everything was aligning. And so we bought this beat up postal van masquerading as an ice cream truck and um, it didn't, it couldn't drive. It didn't have an engine, but we knew this would be kind of like the icon of the brand and we would use it to launch. So now where are we going to launch? Um, we had both been to Coachella for many years uh, in a row and had just seen, you know, there was kind of this emerging, like the food was pretty good there. And I had worked at a friend's food stall and we thought that we could do that. Like, let's launch there. It's the perfect audience. It's hot, you know, and we just figured out we, we um, legal zoom was like a totally was instrumental actually in helping us launch quickly and cheaply. And we just, you know, made enough ice cream, enough cookies, um, through actually, um, partner, uh, like we, we, we were, we were able to use a couple of different manufacturers, their facilities to make our recipes. So we were, we almost like introduced scale right away because it was such a big event. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, we're like, this is go big or go home. And, um, so, and then, so getting the truck to Coachella, that was the last step. Okay. So as I mentioned, no engine. Well, we figured out that if we joined AAA Platinum, we got one free 200-mile tow. So the morning Coachella, we pretended the truck broke down, even though it never drove, and they towed us to the desert. And that's how we how that's the beginning of the end, or the beginning. <laughs> I love how scrappy and resourceful you guys both totally. were. And I also <laughs> think it's powerful to state that you guys launched this company during a recession. And you know, you talked about how you were considering going to the bank to get a loan, but given the state of the economy, it wasn't an option for you. So yeah. you had to be resourceful. And we've heard, you know, two two episodes that come to mind was episode two with Nikeo Grico for her skincare line and episode four with Susie Batiz, who is the founder of Poopery and, you know, a few other companies, but they both started their companies in a recession as well. So I think there's a lot of opportunities in moments like that. So going back to Coachella, I'm sure, you know, people are listening, including myself, and we're thinking, okay, you guys didn't necessarily have a product or were selling at this point. You know, how did you get into such a massive and large event when you were so early in the company? So we just hounded them. I mean, we had nothing to show really for our business. And I remember they asked us to send pictures from events and we had like given out free ice cream sandwiches at like a work party for Freya and they looked horrible and they were melting. So we were like, better to send a bad picture of nothing at all. Yeah. Uh, and then we, you know, I mentioned uh, LegalZoom did help because we needed to like incorporate and like, we, that's what was good about Coachella. We had to be just buttoned up enough to get there. Like a little bit more than like a farmer's market even. We needed a seller's permit basic health permit. Like we had like kind of a checklist and then, yeah, we just, we just basically annoyed them so much from every different contact we could find to reach out to them until they were like, okay, like, well, you can bring the truck, park it in the campground and please just leave us alone. Um, so that's what we did. It was, it was true, just persistence. And also, you know, um, we were the first food truck there. So it wasn't like you had all these like high end vendors, restaurants, five course meals. Like I think we got the benefit of being early adopters of the idea of being gourmet food there at all. 
Yeah, that is true. And it seems like the idea and Cool Haas did incredibly well during Coachella. So it really proved the business model that you guys had. And I understand that I believe one of your friends wrote about you and Coachella in a magazine. And from there, the company went viral and everybody was beginning to learn more about you. And you really rode on that momentum to create, you know, a larger business for yourself without even raising a single dollar. So what was that experience like to go viral so early on in the company? Right. Well, yes, I think to have experienced your brand going viral is a true once in a lifetime. And also does it just doesn't happen you know, you can't plan for it. So it's an incredible gift to be able to um, come up with something that really just hits that chord with people. And I think what you have to be ready to do is just like hold on to the reins at that point. Like, cause it's, it's, you don't want to lose that fact that you've built such instant momentum and you want to capitalize on it. Um, so it was really cool. It was really amazing when Coachella ended the whole ride home. Basically Freya had, um, uh, had a luckily we had made like a Twitter page and a basic website and like a Facebook page and um, or Twitter you, back then you would say Twitter page now handle um, but but um, so she had this setting that every time we got a new follower she would get an email so I called her on the way home we were separated because she was in a tow truck and I was in you know the truck <laughs> car we brought out there <laughs> and I, I I called her and I said um, like cool house is, is blowing up. Like something's happening. I'm getting calls from editors. Like, this is amazing. I think Dwell had called me LA times and she said, Oh, well, you know, I, I knew something was up because our, I, it seems like our Twitter account has been hacked. We're getting followers every couple seconds. I was like, no, this is, this is going viral. And the whole way home, I think by the time I got home, we had about 10,000 followers and I just had, it was just Google alert after Google alert, press inquiry. I mean, it was just amazing. It was like, okay, we must do this. We are onto something. And it's such an incredible feeling to get that feedback. Um, and then it was just about doing the absolute basics to make the truck drivable and, you know, the doors operable so that we could get out there and not miss this moment to capitalize. Wow. What a story. And it's so important, like you mentioned, to capitalize on the momentum. And I know there are other entrepreneurs who've been in similar spots who can't necessarily meet the demand because of the excessive growth that they're seeing. So at that point, were you selling Cool House out of food trucks still? Yeah. So we spent a couple of weeks putting the logo on the truck, making it operable. And then we, I think one of the first events we ever did was Venice Wines. Uh, we, we parked oh, yeah. there and they, you know, it was just like a dessert for people drinking and eating. First Friday was very early, the downtown art walk. Um, so just sort of starting to do events. And then, uh, and it was, yeah, all from the truck, um, scooping the ice cream sandwiches made to order in edible paper. Uh, Culver City Art Walk was an early one as well. And then we started getting catering inquiries, which we really hadn't planned for. The first inquiry we had was from MySpace and um, they wanted us to do an ice cream social at their, um, at their office. And we hadn't even thought about how we were going to price that or what that would even look like. So we just like put them on hold and made up a price and went and sold there. And that's now 95% of the catering business rather. It's all really prepaid film set visits. Brand activations is huge. Giveaways. Mm -hmm. Weddings is our number one type of event that we do most often. Um, you know, bar bat mitzvah, showers. And so it really has become a kind of special, special events business rather than a, a vending vehicle like we would do more often in the early days. 
I love that because so much of business, especially in the early days, is putting your product out there and really seeing what sticks. And for you guys, you never would have thought you would have been in the events business and that would have been a large portion of your revenues if MySpace didn't reach out to you early on. So at what point did you decide to raise capital? Because I believe for the first two years, you guys were bootstrapped and you know you were doing these catering type of events as well as still selling from your food truck. But what was really the impetus for you to go out and yeah. raise money? Actually, it's funny. I, was, I forgot to say, to get to Coachella, we did borrow $700 from our friend Andy and $700 from Freya's mom. So that it, it just shows and borrow. So we paid it back when we were done. Shows how small we like... You know, now if I think of, you know, Cool House has raised $22 million, I think. Wow. You think we got to go and get the $700. And, and Andy, who's like still, you know, like just so upset at himself for not asking for equity instead to be paid back. <laughs> I'm sure. I mean, he, he can't live that one down. It's, it's really funny. Um, but, uh, but he'll be part of our really big party, you know, when we, when we you know. When you guys sell one day. <laughs> household brand. He's already part of the party, but anyway, um, yeah, the time. So, okay. There was a couple of moments. I would say the original truck that we started with, um, unsurprisingly was not totally, how should we say up to health codes. And so, um, we started getting kind of busted for that. Um, and I actually had to go to court and it was the people versus Natasha case. And, um, basically they were, you know, it was really more of a slap on the wrist because they said, build a proper truck and show us you've done it. And then, you know, it's all good. So in order to do that though, we actually um, did a very, very small friends and family uh, just to, just to get the truck. So like my mom, Freya's aunt, you know, tiny. And so, so that was like the first mini one. I want to say that that was, we used some cash from the business, then maybe another 25 grand we raised. And then, um, you know, we could not keep up with the demand with, with even the two trucks or the truck and a half because the original truck, the OG, as we call it, I wouldn't call that a full, <laughs> a not full blown truck. Movies. Yeah. So then um, we said, we need another truck in LA and let's explore another city. We're getting a lot of demand from New York. So we found this micro lender called Opportunity Fund. They were able to let us borrow against our original truck and um, give us financing at low interest very quickly. So that allowed us to get our second and third truck. And that was very pivotal because we could keep expanding sort of the, the bandwidth to other cities and getting the word out there. And um, we um, then uh, ran that for maybe a little less than a year, even I want to say, and said, you know what, we need real capital to take the kind of the buzz factor, the, um, the, the great cash flow from the trucks and it's so boutique though. We need to, we need to, let's go back to like, as I said, in that first moment, like, okay, grocery seemed like too much and a storefront seemed also out of, out of the realm. But let's look at those two now because those, those make it a little easier to plan our roots. You know, the truck business, while amazing, it, it, there was a volatility to it, just like a lot of truck breakdowns and each city had such different codes. And, you know, we thought that, that should be a facet of a bigger idea. So then we um, did an angel round to um, do our flagship store, which we still have in Culver City, which has now become also an innovation center where we can make samples and prototypes and do all this cool stuff and, and launch in grocery. So we launched in Whole Foods then. And um, that's really where the bulk of that investment went to. We raised a million in angel capital. And it came with amazing mentorship of Bobby Margolis, mm -hmm. 
who created the Cherokee Jeans Empire, and his son-in-law, who became our president um, and still board member and very good friend of the company. And we really, uh, you know, partnered with them to make the wholesale business something that could be, you know, a force to be reckoned with. Um, and we lived off that angel round until 2017, 2018, when we did a private equity round. That's incredible. Good yeah. for you guys. Yeah. But one thing I do want to touch upon, you know, we've only talked about the glorious success that Cool House has really witnessed from, you know, the day you launched at Coachella. But I'd love to hear more about, you know, whether it was certain challenges or rejections you faced yeah. really to grow this business to the next level. I mean, the the whole story is a story of overcoming, you know, rejections and fighting your way through things. Um, maybe as an entrepreneur, you like blocked out the those moments and you like remember the key but by no means should anyone think that if they're having endless struggles getting where they need to go that they're alone I think the thing that is important just as a side note to that is like I I feel so passionate about this I love doing this so I will take the problems and the battles of this any day over anything else so that's what drives me. It's not that they aren't there. It's that I, I want to solve those problems. I want to, you know, make the best ice cream, the most interesting ice cream with the coolest story behind it. I want to partner with the most interesting people who are changing the game and, 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 and bringing radical thinking and whatever that, that can mean for culture. And, and certainly think of them, thinking of the moment we're in now. I mean, you know, you have a platform, you know, to do something cool, to say something meaningful. So, um, and, and follow up with action, of course. Um, so, but, but specifically I would say, um, I mean, look, uh, a recent one that comes to mind, we had to recall, um, our dairy free orchata ice cream sandwiches from all whole foods, right. As we launched them last summer, we figured out there was an ingredient in there that, that wasn't meant to be, it was a manual error from our co-packer production facility. And we, it was very painful. It was, um, you know, all said and done because of everything we had to pull off the shelf, an over a million dollar loss. Um, mm. And it's really difficult to kind of get that money back because insurance is its own battle. You know, um, finding a co-backer that will really take responsibility is also challenging. And also think about, you know, not being on the shelf and all the opportunity lost. It's like, there's no price tag to that. But what we found is being super transparent with our audience about what was going on and not trying to hide behind it and just, you know, saying this does happen, but we are going to improve everything about our operation and we're going to, we're going to let everyone know when we're there and, and when we relaunch the product, we'll be better for it. We got such good feedback from that. And I think ultimately built trust with the brand. Um, like when we did a social media post about like this sandwich has been recalled, you know, if you read the comments, it's all like, send them all to me, you know, like people were like, no, like, so, so, you know, it's a serious situation. So I don't mean to make light of it by any means, but the response showed us that we did the right thing, you know? And so that was a huge learning uh, moment for us. Um, but yeah, so that, that was like probably the biggest recent battle that I can think of. Um, and then besides that, there's just so many other little ones. What I would say is I'm lucky enough now to have team members where I look to them to bring solutions to me. Like I, I, you know, I'm 11 years in and you don't want to be, you don't want, you, you want to, you know, focus on the problems that you solve best, but then make sure that your team is bringing you solutions, not just problems. Mm -hmm. And you know, that's, that's a great point. I was actually going to ask you, how has your life changed where personally or professionally from, you know, being a founder of this small business to now a CEO of a pretty big household brand? How, yeah. what's that journey been like? 
Amazing. I think um, I've loved it. It requires so much growth and so much character to do this. Um, running a business is super challenging in terms of making it all work and doing everything you want to do for the brand and the product. And um, the having the right people on the bus to get there is, is a huge challenge. And um, no two people are alike. You really have to learn what motivates people and how to you know give them what they're looking for from the business on a personal level. It's not going to work out every time. Um, and, you know, um, uh, I think it's, it's, um, it's something that you're always learning and, and evolving and growing from. And you just have to do the best to make it about more than just being a job, like really bring people into, into your passion and, and try to find a place that their dream can grow within your dream of the company, you know? Um, and that's, I think, one of the, the most exciting challenges that can always change. And I think for me... Personally, I think what's become, I think, bigger and bigger is like not only, you know, being the CEO, but the founder role and that really special touch that you bring to everything about the, the, the brand and the marketing and the story and the strategy and making sure that you as the founder and you're like the soul of the business have a really good mechanism for um, at a high level, you know, see, like, okay, when there's a marketing plan, where do you touch it? You've got to be at the, you got to be at the table when the brainstorm is there and you want to be signing off at the end and feeling great about it and, and kind of getting out of the stickiness of the day to day and, and really letting your team do what they do best um, is something I'm really enjoying. And I think for this next chapter for me, I, I, I just want to kind of be, really kind of big picture with so much of it, whether that's innovation, which is huge for, you know, I think for me personally, and then, yeah, definitely on the the marketing and then the business strategy. So you're 11 years in the business. And like you mentioned, you're really thinking through the next chapter for yourself. How are you really thinking yeah. about success for you and the business? I really define success as having control, like, and the flexibility, like that you have the ability to spend your time doing what you want to do. Um, and if you, you know, I'm on a um, two month maternity leave. I mean, I feel it's a huge gift. I can focus on my family and be there as a mom and trust that things are getting done while I'm gone. I mean, that's amazing. And I can control how long, how, how little or how, how much I get involved in where or stay away. I, um, and each day, you know, you build, um, in what you do. I, is there someone I want to see during the day? Um, uh, what's a, a th an activity I'm doing as a sanity activity. And really there's no one that's telling me you you have to be here. You can't do this. You can't do that. Like I'm in control of it. Um, and I, it helps you really be able to create a work life, work life balance when you have that. So, um, you know, which is never perfect as many people will say, but I think you have a much better shot of it when you're calling the shots. And I think as women, we like, um, we, we do try to solve every problem and it's important that we say, you know, we don't have to do that. <laughs> let's just do what we do best and let's be there where, where we need to be there for the different aspects of our lives. So that, that really is what success is to me way more than any amount of money or any exit of a brand, you know, could, could be it's in, in, or how big a house is or anything like that. That is true success for me. Yeah. One thing you touch upon is the importance for you of really being in control of your own schedule. And, yeah. you know, of course that 
comes a little bit easier when you're building your own business and it's something that you can personally control yourself. But I think the main takeaway that I'm always trying to bring up in all of these conversations is I want women to hear stories like yours and feel empowered that they can really build that dream or that business that they've always envisioned and take control of their own career and their own destiny. So I think you know your story and how you even think through success is just a testament to see what's possible. So I appreciate you just even sharing that. I also want to switch gears and talk about motherhood. So you have two adorable kids and, you know, a three-year-old and now a six-week-old. How is motherhood for you and how has that really impacted how you show up as an entrepreneur? It's been huge for me. I mean, I think it changes you, definitely. Um, I think the biggest ways are one, you feel that you're, it was a shift from I'm doing this, like we're doing this kind of, you know, for our customers, but also for, for us to like, we're doing it for them. You know, like I want to build an empire, an ice cream empire that my kids can be proud of and can be, can take part in maybe one day if they're interested, you're really building a legacy. And so it feels, it feels bigger than, you know, like any job can, can be like, like that's kind of how I envision it. And that really, I think changed once we had kids. Um, it definitely makes you prioritize your time. There's a saying, uh, if you want something done, give it to a working mother. (laughs) And, you know, you just like, it's like you want to get more done because you know, you want to go home and see your kids in in a normal world, you know, Remy would be at school from eight to five and then go to bed at 8 PM. So it's not that much time, really. It's a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the evening. And, um, you know, you want to spend every second with them. Um, So I I think that definitely happened. I think you kind of drop the petty stuff more. Kids are really good at just giving you perspective. Um, And even if you're not a mom, just having kids in your life, like, you know, nieces and nephews, like just kids like have this ability to do this because they're not so caught up in all the you know, the messes and all we spend our lives, you really see when, when they're born, like, oh, they really do start as this blank canvas. And we spend our lives just accumulating so much great stuff, but also, you know, a lot of baggage or whatever weird encounters we have along the way. And it's great because they take you out of that. And um, they just bring a lot of comfort and joy. So that's especially helpful right now. Um and uh, yeah, those are those are I think the main the main ways I feel. I love being a mom with Freya. It's an incredible way to be partners, and we've certainly been through high stress situations together. So that was very good training for you know being mom. Yeah, I can definitely see that you guys have been through quite a lot with each other, even with the business. And I know when you started the company, your relationship with Freya was fairly new at the time, and clearly you now have built an amazing family and a business. But what was that experience like building a company with your partner? It was it was just it's kind of blows your mind because um, <clears throat> you know I think you get to know someone through the business to a certain degree, and it's helpful in that you we we would get into a lot of really intense arguments, but. Like, I think we worked out a lot of our philosophical differences through the business rather than just making them personal attacks. And I don't know, starting the ice cream business and that little rinky dink truck, you know, driving into the sunset in Ojai for a wedding. I mean, what a romantic way to get to know your partner. We went on so many journeys together and um, it's just like falling in love and having the business grow, just very, very special. Um and I just respect her so much. Like she's my mentor, you know, and, um, I always look to her for feedback. Um, and she's my toughest critic and biggest champion, no doubt about that. 
Definitely toughest critic. <laughs> I need that. You I need that, that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, totally. And um, so I think too, we believe like a brand has to be bigger than the relationship and the relationship has to be bigger than the brand. So Freya did decide to step out of the day-to-day, which was a very tough moment for us, but ultimately the best thing. And so now we work in related but different you know, companies and it's really nice to have that a bit of a boundary, but be able to help each other with insight. What would you say was the motivation around Freya leaving the day-to-day and the ops of the business? Um, I think that she was a bit burnt out. She felt that she, there was some resentment. She felt that doing finance and ops was not as fun as sales, marketing, PR, innovation, like I was more focused on. And she, for her, I don't know if being a owner run business, like she just gets very emotional about when things go wrong. Like we would be at a dinner party and someone would like, tweet incorrectly about the truck location and the whole night would be ruined. You know, she just, it was very hard at that time for her to separate those things. So just better for her mental health. Now she is, you know, basically the president of tea company called tea drops. And it's nice because she's, you know, she's an executive, but not, you know, the one that be owning it is like a certain amount falls on your shoulders. Perfectly said. Being an owner, there's just so much that falls on your plate. And especially early on, you just feel like you're a firefighter just taking down all the problems that are erupting. So it's so important to be able to, you know, separate yourself from the day to day and the stresses, which is why I always say entrepreneurship is a mind game. How do you deal with the stresses of the business and not taking anything personally? Yeah, I think, you know, um, um, part of it is just, I think, you know, in my DNA, I guess I did one of those like personality tests, those work personality tests. And I respond with, with, uh, uh, I'm very like rational, you know, like, um, something happens. My response is rational as opposed to emotional. And I just don't, um, I guess I just know that the emotion will get, you need to have emotion, but the emotion will get distracting. So I like to just focus on the rash, rationale so I can just solve things. And, and, you know, I just, I guess I just know that I'm weirdly, unlike a lot of entrepreneurs, not a perfectionist. I just know that things, you do your best, but things do get messy and things are unpredictable. And so I sort of go in knowing it's not going to be this perfect picture and expect it, I guess, to some degree and just be ready to act and evolve when it happens. But, um, yeah, I think that coupled with just being passionate about it does really help. Again, if you have the love for what you do, it makes it easier to not get like so upset every time something goes wrong. That's so true. Love for what you do and really remembering the why and the passion behind what you're starting. So I definitely feel like that has been the North Star anytime things get really difficult or tough in my own business. So as someone who's created legitimately their dream company. You know, you never thought that this could be possible. And fast forward 11 years, you've created a massive company that was your dream and is creating wealth for yourself. So what advice do you have for women entrepreneurs who are starting businesses or even women who are looking to really take hold of their career and do a change in their own lives? I think um, one thing really big, even if nothing else as as an exercise, like what's the biggest this can be and what does that look like? And do that at intervals of like two, five, 10, 15 years, because those are very different stages for a company and be as specific as possible. Um, I had a friend, someone I interviewed, I actually had a podcast with Eater 
Um, and uh, uh, we interviewed um, the Zingerman's Deli founder. Um, and his whole thing was writing vision, but writing it in present tense. So it's like you're living in that moment, which I thought, thought was really, really cool. Um, and, uh, so that was that, that's sort of, I think one thing that I would just recommend doing just for yourself, take the time to do that. And then I would do that for you personally. Like, what does it mean for you? Um, like, like, what does it look like for you? What is your day to day? Like, how much money are you making? Um, are you, do you have a plan to start a family? And if so, when, because I think we women, like we, we think we're just being really unselfish, but we forget to consider ourselves. And like, if this business is going to succeed, you have to be really happy and self-sustaining. And so you don't want that Mm -hmm. to be the last time you get to, you want to start with that. Um, so those would be my two recommendations. I love that you mentioned that because I completely agree. I think it's really important as women that we think big, both personally and professionally, and really what we want in our own lives and really getting clear on where we see ourselves in, like you said, five, 10, 15 years. And that doesn't mean it can't change. But I think once you're really clear about what you want in your life, it, it definitely manifests. And I think you just have more of a vision in terms of getting there for yourself. Looking back in your life, are there any lessons that you learned building Cool House that you wish you knew in your early 20s when you were just starting out? Well, Bobby Margolis, who was that mentor angel investor, he said something that I just think is always just so useful, which is um, you walk through a wall when you don't know it's there. And it really is true that sometimes not knowing, having a little bit of naivete and just the hustle is the best gift for starting a business. Because once you know so much, you can get into analysis paralysis and never do anything. I mean, I could have easily talked myself out of the whole cool house idea. There are plenty of reasons not to do it. Way more reasons not to do it than to do it. And it's really good that I didn't know all of those. And I didn't know all of those for opening the shop and the and Whole Foods and you know uh, raising every dollar. I mean, you just sometimes have to do things. And it's may not be a perfect picture, but um, it's it's you know, believing in what you're doing and, and, and taking calculated risk will really help you, you know, pull it off. Um, and just having the drive, like that, no one's going to stop you. I mean, those, that, that is like a really good secret sauce. It's so true. I mean, honestly, everyone that we've interviewed so far, so we've had probably about 15 interviews with self-made women and each one of them have not come from their specific industries for their business. They're, they just jumped into something new and it's been, such an advantage. And I think that's so important to talk about because people hold themselves back sometimes and get nervous. Like I don't have the experience. I can't do this. I wasn't in fashion. I wasn't in uh, beauty, but it doesn't matter. Like you said, it could be your advantage to be with new set of eyes and and create something new. Like you did, you created a whole new concept. Absolutely. I think it's actually almost better to apply an outside skill set because it makes you kind of break the whole thing apart in a better way than if you're, you know, just, just like thinking that there's like a direct path. Um, there's nothing wrong with that, but that isn't necessarily kind of the entrepreneur mentality. That's so true. There's definitely no direct path in entrepreneurship. You're essentially creating your own way and your own path. So that's that I don't completely agree with that. So I want to close with one last question. And we briefly touched upon this, I would say throughout the interview, but Wealth means so much more than money and everybody has their own definition of wealth. What does that mean to you? I think it's, it definitely relates to kind of what we we're talking about with success being not monetary, you know, and not about things. And again, how big your house is and all that. It's about um, one, being able to spend your time the way you desire 
um, as much as possible. Um, you know, we have one, one life here and you don't want to look back thinking that you didn't invest in the people around you that you love and be with them as much as possible. Um, and secondly, just, yeah, I think I, I, you know, um, I, the wealth I have with Freya, you know, the love we have for each other, our partnership, um, you know, we, we've growing our family. We have our lovely families around us. We have an amazing friend circle, very supportive, loving friend circle, missing them more often these days. Um, and I just feel we have a wealth of existence. You know, we, um, we have a place in Palm Springs we get out to, and that's like a whole fun other world to be part of. Um, so I, I see it as like our experience of living each day feels very, uh, fulfilling for me. And that, that is, that is the real wealth I'd say. That's so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Natasha, for joining us today. That was an amazing conversation. Well, I really enjoyed it. Thank you for your thoughtful questions and having me on. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.